As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for hanging, being part of my radio family. I'm your host, AD. How the hell are you? What is an AD? What the hell have you stumbled across as you navigate the iHeartRadio dial and you land on the extreme talk station? What the hell is this? You've uh, uh, run across this, what is it, Tuesday morning? It's hard to tell. It's a post-Cinco de Mayo Tuesday morning, the day after what is officially the best day of the year to be a sombrero salesman. You've stumbled across, well, I guess really what you've stumbled across is <laughs> is the next generation of talk radio superstar. That's how they sold it to me when they outlined the gig. Uh, I'm this former punk rock kid in a band. I wound up being in radio after the band was over. I had no applicable skills, and I was 23 years old, and uh, my resume said, dude, in a band, and I didn't, even have a ba- I didn't even have a band anymore, and I wound up on the radio. Because, you know, like I said, no applicable skills. And I bounced around the country a little bit, doing radio here, doing radio there. And I started doing a little bit of talk radio, and I found out that uh, I rather enjoyed it. It was good times. It was fun. (laughs) And uh, I remember being on the air and uh, watching a talk radio station kind of go down in flames because they had a brainless, talentless moron that shouldn't be allowed to crack a microphone doing afternoons. And I was like, hey, put me in the game. I'm good. This will work. And I was given the answer, no. You look like an overgrown kid that should be hanging around outside of a 7-Eleven, which, you know, fair play is true. But it was interesting because I sort of felt for one tiny second that I'd been judged on my appearance. And I went to bed mad about it that night. And I woke up mad about it the next morning. I was still mad when I went to bed the following night and still mad when I woke up the following morning. So the following morning, I did something about it. I uh, fired off an email to the Grand Dragons of Talk Radio. And this email had, uh, well, I, I sent it off saying, hey, I'm AD. I think I'm good. Here's some of my stuff to take a listen to. I've been told that I'll never make it in talk radio because I look like this. And I attached a picture of myself. And like I said, 
overgrown kid that looks like he should be hanging around skateboarding outside of a 7-Eleven. That part was true. I attached a picture of myself. I said, I've been told I'll never make it in talk radio because I look like this and not like this. And attached a picture of Rush Limbaugh. Immediately, I got an email back from someone saying, yeah, you know what? You're actually kind of good. And, and here's the thing about old Rush Limbaugh. You attached a picture of, mm, he's getting old. His audience is getting old. They're not spending money the way they used to. And let's be real here. You can only have that much of a fondness for donuts and Oxycontin at the same time. Carry that much weight around. And uh, you expect to last so long. So they decided to put me in the game, which is what you're hearing. Extreme talk on iHeartRadio. Kind of warming up in the bullpen, doing radio wind sprints and push-ups, waiting for Rush Limbaugh and folks like that to die. And it was interesting when I first started doing this, I was like, all right, what do I do? Or what should I not do? I didn't care about what to do. I had plenty of ideas. I I just didn't know what I should steer away from. And they said to me, the only thing we really want from you when you do this show is to not say whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. And I was like, that's it? That's easy. (laughs) That's so easy because I'm neither. Don't paint me with your broad strokes. I refuse to be defined by pointless allegiances to meaningless parties. Uh, Like that labeling of yourself, if you're still unfortunate enough to take part in it, is so limiting. It's so knee-jerk. So the whole not declaring whether I was a Democrat or a Republican or whatever the hell I was was easy because I'm neither. I take each issue as it comes. I consider everything on its own merits. Not because I voted a certain way a couple years ago or not because my parents voted a certain way uh, for their entire lives or, you know, no. I take each issue on its own merits. And that's what they want. They wanted someone who could bring the left and the right together over universal truths like boobs are great and fart jokes are funny. And thinking for yourself is really the only way forward in this country and in your life personally. Don't let yourself be painted by the broad strokes. Don't let yourself declare an allegiance to a pointless, non-existent idea of what was. Hey, maybe it was great to be a Republican when Abraham Lincoln was president. Maybe it was great to be a Democrat when Kennedy was president. Maybe that really meant something. Maybe that stood for something. Maybe you could feel as though you could fall in behind someone and trust that they were going to look after your hopes, wants, and needs in their elected office of power. Maybe. I don't know. I wasn't around. I'm guessing you probably weren't around either. But whatever the case may be, Whatever the case may be, that's why we're here today. We are here today to usher in the next generation of talk radio superstar. That's what they called me when I started doing this. I was like, wow, that sounds great. That must pay fantastic. And they're like, yeah, no, no, not not so much really. But like we said, next generation of talk radio superstar. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And I thank you for being in with me and being part of my radio family. You rule for hanging out. Today in the show... White Clippers say Donald Sterling is an equal opportunity scumbag, the man who wants to marry his computer because it's a human rights issue, and joining the Mile High Club with your parents only feet away. Thank you so much for hanging out. Tweet me at ADSXE.
and girls, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for hanging out, being part of my radio family. Good morning. How the hell are you? If you are one of the people that listened to the show in the past, then you know this is uh, this is a bit of an adjustment for me. I'm on in daylight hours. It was kind of interesting. This show used to happen at like 8 o'clock at night. Now, 8 o'clock in the morning is when I was awake, ready, up and at him, ready to go, ready to make radio magic. I have a new respect for those morning guys and their giant flaming egos. I think that you deserve to uh, puff out your chest and walk around a little bit in a way that suggests your junk is bigger than it actually is if you're willing to get up this more early in the morning to uh, provide entertainment, which is why the moment I leave this studio, chest will be puffed out and I will be walking like I'm packing significantly more than I am, which is not a lot, so you probably won't tell the difference. Welcome to the show if you are just getting here. I appreciate you hanging out, being part of my radio family. feel, Feel free to join in the conversation by tweeting me. At ADSXE is where you can find me in the Twitterverse. Today in the show, White Clippers say Donald Sterling is an equal opportunity scumbag, the man who wants to marry his computer because it's a human rights issue and If we have time, joining the Mile High Club with your parents right around the corner. Right now, though, let's take a look at the events of today in a segment I like to call My Witness News in absolutely no way, shape, or form fair and certainly not balanced. Do we have the news bed? Do we have that thing that makes it? Oh, there it is. Makes me sound like, you know. (laughs) Makes me sound like a respected broadcaster, which I am definitely not. I don't know if you caught it or not, but the annual White House Correspondents' Dinner went down a couple of Saturday nights ago, or this past Saturday night. It's interesting. Because you consider certain things about our nation's history. And we're here in 2014, and everybody has sort of like at least the idea of equality and equal rights. And it, here's the thing about the uh, the White House. Oh, no, no, keep, it, keep the news bed going. It, it makes me feel like, there you go. See, now I feel official. Before, my news person confidence was at an all-time small, like, the, uh, <laughs> like what I'm packing when I walk down the hall and pretend I have more. But now it's back up in the game. The annual White House Correspondents' Dinner went down on Saturday night, and it's crazy. As you look back at our nation's history, you go, wow. That's that's insane that we had this egregious of a gap in equality and human rights that recently. Because when you look at it, until 1962, the White House Correspondents Dinner was only open to men. It's crazy, right, to think that you know that recently women weren't allowed to attend. It's ridiculous. How can you have a dinner with no woman around to cook it? Nevertheless, I'm glad we are where we are now. The dinner, I love watching the White House Correspondents' Dinner because it's basically like the president doing stand-up comedy. And here's the thing about presidents. Their abilities to uh, effectively govern and run a country and guide it and push it in a direction that is going to make the general population of America happy, satisfied, and confident in them, well, not every president has that. One thing every president does have, though, is the ability to speak publicly. So what you're getting at the White House Correspondents' Dinner is some of the greatest speakers of all time delivering stand-up comedy written by some of the greatest writers of all time. So it's kind of like razor-edge cutting stuff. I think my favorite... My favorite line from a White House Correspondents' Dinner was a couple years back when... uh, Ariana Huffington was there, and the Huffington Post was represented, and I think the Huffington Post had just won a Pulitzer, and Obama said something to the effect of Ariana Huffington, well done, <laughs> well done on your Pulitzer. 
Nobody links to other people's stories the way you link to other people's news stories. It's true. That, that runs so true. The Internet's just all about shuttling clicks back and forth, and it's such a false economy. And whoever was writing Obama's jokes at the time spotted that, which I thought was kind of cool. But yeah, the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner apparently can be a little nerve-wracking for presidents. Bill Clinton said he thought about everybody in their underwear. Don't know what he did to uh, calm his nerves whilst at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, but I think he just naturally... (laughs) I think he just naturally pictures people in a state of undress. Did you see, by the way, did you see, and and I don't even know exactly what's going on with it, but Monica Lewinsky has reared her, uh, well, no, it's not fair to call her ugly, but Monica Lewinsky has uh, reared her controversial head yet again. I'm quite sure it's all part of a, uh, I'm quite sure it's all part of an idea to potentially stymie Hillary for president. Next time the elections roll around, uh, Jay Leno's got to be kicking himself. He's like, oh, just when I quit The Tonight Show, all the Monica Lewinsky jokes that I got so much mileage out of become relevant again. What the hell? What the hell, man? Rob Schneider, you know, making copies. That guy from uh, Saturday Night Live. Rob Schneider, in a weird turn of events, weighed in on politics the other day. Did you see this? Rob Schneider has gone on the record saying that the U.S. is sliding toward fascism. Nobody heard him say it because he wasn't uh, riding on Adam Sandler's coattails in a movie at the time. But nevertheless, Rob Schneider has gone on the record saying the U.S. is sliding toward fascism. Are you one of those Americans that, I don't know, wants your country back? Maybe you're one of those Americans that wants your country forward. What do you think about where we are or where we've been or where we're going? Everybody has an opinion. But to hear Rob Schneider, again, making copies, weigh in on... (laughs) Such a weighty political issue with such inflammatory speech was kind of surprising. Yep. According to old Rob, we are a hop, skip, and a jump away from fascism. Here's the thing, Rob. Terribly sorry. But when it comes to analyzing the complex political and socioeconomic implications of increased government regulation with regard to turning points in the societal and governmental contexts of our nation's history, I never really weigh in until I hear from Norm MacDonald. Are you smart? Are you like a smart person? Are you a mathy person? Ben Affleck, apparently way smarter than uh, any of us gave him credit for. Because he was caught counting cards at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. I don't know how to count cards, but I think you have to be like mind-numbingly intelligent to do that successfully. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you count cards, maybe you can weigh in, maybe you know what it takes and it doesn't take very much. But I was always uh, of the opinion that to count cards, you have to be like uh, smarter than the average bear, if you will. And Ben Affleck has been banned uh, from the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino because he got caught counting cards. Although I had the sneaking suspicion that Ben Affleck got caught, quote-unquote, counting cards the way... Kim Kardashian occasionally gets caught, quote-unquote, reading a book. I have a feeling that it was a a purposeful move to make us feel as though he was smarter than he actually is. But Ben Affleck now is at a point where nobody wants to see him at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. If you count the next Batman flick, that makes two things nobody wants to see him in. And celebrity skank that likes to get horizontal with other celebrity skank news. Cameron Diaz went on the record not so long ago saying that she was once with a woman, which should 
come as no surprise when you remember that she dated Jared Leto for four years. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm not sure exactly what she was talking about. Maybe it was that nonspecific gender that Jared Leto adheres to, or, or maybe it was actually a, a woman. But the idea of Cameron Diaz being with another female, <clears throat> if you're a dude and this doesn't do it for you, if this doesn't kind of turn you on, then you must be very excited about the upcoming Tony Awards. Not that there's anything wrong with that. In Celebrity Dried Up, is this really a thing? Are we still talking about this guy, Human Garbage News? Jason Priestley from 90210, I guess, has dropped a book. And in his new book, Jason Priestley is apparently very, very critical of Beverly Hills 90210 co-stars from the 90s. Uh, he's critical of Shannon Doherty and Tori Spelling specifically. Uh, and by the way, if this story is a big deal to you, have fun at the Color Me Bad reunion concert tonight. So we're going to get into uh, the whole Clippers fiasco uh, in a little bit on the show. And uh, we're going to discuss some reports that uh, old Donald Sterling, uh, apparently, according to White Clippers, he's an equal opportunity scumbag. It's not so much that he's racist, it's just that he's awful, just awful. I don't know if you caught it or not, but the latest in that whole sort of runaround is that V. Stiviano, uh, Donald Sterling's non-sexual, <laughs> non-sexual mistress, V. Stiviano, uh, went on the record in an interview with Barbara Walters saying that Clippers owner Donald Sterling is, in fact, quote-unquote, not racist. And when your kept woman side action, a fair chick, goes to bat for you as a character witness, you know what that means, right? I think that means that the check cleared. Sterling has uh, revealed in a, uh, I don't know, yeah, I'll call it a play for sympathy, because otherwise, why wouldn't he have gone public with it then? Before, Donald Sterling has revealed that he has prostate cancer. Just very, very, very racist prostate cancer. He hasn't publicly apologized for his comments yet. He feels as though he's done nothing wrong, said nothing wrong. He, uh, he, he is bigoted with impunity, and he refuses to apologize. But in his defense, he is a racist scumbag. In other sporting news, luxury designer Hermes has dropped a $14,000 baseball glove. Did you see this? Yeah. The glove, yeah, 14 Gs for a baseball glove. The, the glove is ideal for anybody who loves, it's very well made. Like I saw pictures of it. I read the specs on it. The glove is ideal for anyone who loves exquisite calfskin, elegant hand stitching, and demonstrating to the world what an unbearably pompous scumbag they are. Uh, before buying the glove, I think you're legally required to call your parents and ask what they did to raise such a deplorable excuse for a human being. Evidently, Hermes, French for smug a-hole with zero chance of ever leading a happy, fulfilling life. That's one of those indicators of the fact that you have too much money. I think it was Ben Affleck who was, uh, as, as we discussed earlier, a, a noted gambler. And I think he took a break from gambling once because he lost so much money on like one hand of poker or one spin of the roulette wheel or, or something like that. And he was like, you know, in a in the grand scheme of things, that's really not that much money to me. But I just wasted 
an amount of money recreationally that can probably feed and clothe a family for uh, two years. And that's inexcusable. And that's why he took a break from gambling. Apparently he went back to it. But same deal. You buy yourself a $14,000 baseball glove. And you think about what that money could be spent on. Whether it's for you, your family, people that don't have a whole lot. But but if you're at the point where you're dropping 14 G's on a baseball glove just so you can say, Hey, hey, you, you want to come over? Look at my Hermes baseball glove. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. 14 grand on a catcher's mitt. If you get to that point, I don't think it's really open to interpretation. You're a wasteful a-hole and you shouldn't be allowed access to your checking account until you get some moral fiber beaten into you in some way, shape, or form. Did you catch this? A sinkhole opened in Florida at a retirement community. People panicked. I can understand why old people panicked. Seeing a giant hole in the ground is kind of close to home for them. Uh, Too bad it didn't happen yesterday. You know, on Sinkhole de Mayo. See what I did there? Awful. Just awful. In financial news, the mayor of Seattle announced plans to raise the city's minimum wage. He'll be raising it to 15 bucks an hour. That's pretty good, right? Like, that's not just me. That's pretty good. What is it? Eight, nine bucks where you are? 15 bucks an hour seems high for minimum wage. But bear in mind, this is in Seattle, where residents have to spend the extra money probably exclusively on umbrellas and Prozac. The rain's depressing. It really is. I talked to a guy that moved to uh, where I am from Seattle not so long ago. And he was like, dude, I just, I, it's an amazing city. The people there are incredible. If you're doing radio in that market, it's competitive. It's awesome. It's so cool. But the rain's hard to take. I kick myself repeatedly. One of one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my career was not going to work for a really cool guy at a really amazing station in Seattle once. The station that discovered Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and and it would have just yeah, it was stupid not taking the gig. Also because I felt really really at home there. The the fog, the rain was awesome. Reminded me of growing up in England, which I did. So Donald Sterling is an equal opportunity scumbag. He's not necessarily a racist. We know this because white players on the Clippers have said, no, no, he's uh, awful, just awful to all of us. What specifically did he do that is equal opportunity awful? It shouldn't come as a surprise, but it does. It does. so much for hanging being part of my radio family i'm your host ad appreciate you joining me joining the conversation by tweeting me at adsxc is where you can find me on the twitterverse 
Big what's up to super producer to the stars, my boy Funkhauser, who is pressing buttons in Los Angeles, making me entirely more professional sounding than I actually am. Hopefully, we'll get some uh, we'll get some kinks ironed out of this new studio in time for him to join us on the air tomorrow. I'm privileged to be produced by uh, <laughs> by such a radio luminary. And by luminary, uh, I mean he knows and works with a lot of porn stars. It could add an interesting dimension to the show a little later on as we move forward. Uh, today in the show, white clippers say Donald Sterling is an equal opportunity scumbag. The man who wants to marry his computer because it's a human rights issue and joining the Mile High Club with your parents nearby. Right now, though, I'd like to uh, address the historical context of getting liquored up in the street yesterday. Cinco de Mayo, or as it's known, the single greatest day of the year to be a sombrero salesman. Yep, Cinco de Mayo is yesterday. And uh, I, I don't know, it's one of those things where you don't want to get in people's faces and, and be like, fine, scream Ariba at a bartender over and over again while ordering margaritas. It's not racist at all, but uh, you don't want to mess with people's fun. But it is interesting to dig a little bit into the historical context of Cinco de Mayo. Most people, if you ask them, besides it being a fantastic excuse to get liquored up in the street on a Monday yesterday, would have told you it's Mexican Independence Day, right? No. Here's the thing. A lot of people believe Cinco de Mayo celebrates Mexico's independence from Spain. That's so far freaking removed from reality. Cinco de Mayo commemorates the Battle of the Puebla, a battle that went down before the Mexican Revolution so not Mexican Independence Day, and after the Mexican-American War, which was uh, (laughs) 1846, right? If I, uh, that that would be the one day that I didn't fall asleep in eighth grade history class. But anyways, the Battle of the Puebla was, it's worth commemorating. It was between us, well, it's worth Mexicans commemorating what we're doing with it. Well, I'll explain that in a second. But the Battle of the Puebla, he says, as you nurse your (laughs) margarita-induced hangover, was between a small Mexican Mexican army, about 4,000 men, and it was against the French army, which was like double the size of the Mexican army. The Mexican army was severely outnumbered. And that's what Cinco de Mayo celebrates. Courageousness on the part of the Mexican army. So why do people in America drink heavily, fall down in piles of their own vomit on a Cinco de Mayo? (laughs) What is the logic behind that? It's Mexican St. Patrick's Day. No, 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 it's really not. Here's how Cinco de Mayo came to be the vomit fest that we know and love today. It was, you know how they describe certain holidays as being Hallmark holidays? Like, nobody really cared about this until the greeting card companies decided to get in on the act. Sort of like that, only a bit more racist. (laughs) That's a history of Cinco de Mayo. And I'm not trying to detract from the fun that you had yesterday and the fun that you're planning on having at Cinco de Mayo's in the future. It's sort of become its own thing. But the deal was... This, Cinco de Mayo, the commercialization of Cinco de Mayo, it becoming what it's become today, started because the folks over at Coors, Coors Brewing Company, needed to improve their image among Hispanics. 
See, Hispanics were boycotting the brewing company for discriminatory practices. There's a really interesting book. If you're one of those people that is balking at the fact that, you know, America is becoming less and less predominantly white, it's one of the, it's like, you're like one of those people that's hanging on to vinyl. Like, it's just, it, people are, people aren't even using MP3s anymore. It's streaming audio direct to your device. And if you want to uh, harken back to the good old days when uh, you pulled out the 45s or even listen to a long player, well, then that's your account. But to ignore what is going on and to wish that the good old days could be here again is a little short-sighted. But this is a really interesting book. If you get a chance to read it, um, it's called Anything But Mexican Chicanos in Contemporary Los Angeles, written by a guy called, I'm going to butcher the name, but Rodolfo Acuna. I wonder if he's any sort of relation to uh, uh, that percussionist Alex Acuna, like amazing Latin percussionist called Alex Acuna. Don't know whether or not he's related to old Rodolfo, but Rodolfo wrote this book, Anything But Mexican Chicanos in Contemporary Los Angeles. And this is how recent Cinco de Mayo became what it is. He discussed how in 1985 in this book, the National Council of La Raza, the American GI Forum, and later the League of United Latin American Citizens signed an agreement with Coors Brewing Company to stop the long-standing boycott in exchange for, and this is what uh, Coors ponied up to make Cinco de Mayo happen, there was a Hispanic boycott against the Coors Brewing Company, and they, in exchange for $350 million in donations to Latino organizations, got the boycott against Coors lifted. The result, the end result, was these Hispanic organizations who'd just been greased by Coors to the tune of $350 million bucks, encouraging their supporters to buy Coors beer. When? On Cinco de Mayo in order to create a pseudo-holiday for Hispanics. Straight up, the reason people were passed out in puddles of their own vomit yesterday in honor of Cinco de Mayo, Mexican Independence Day, St. Patrick's Day for Mexicans. The reason that happened was solely because Coors ponied up $350 million bucks and created a beer-drinking <laughs> A beer drinking holiday. And that, my friend, is why we have Cinco de Mayo. You know what's got a sting for cores? What really has to grind their gears, what really has to make them upset is that they were the ones that forked over almost 400 million bucks back in 1985 when 400 million bucks really was something to write home about. Yeah, they were the ones that like forked that over. They did that. And now, like, their competitors, like Budweiser, Miller, uh, tequila companies, any any kind of alcoholic adult beverage that you can imbibe with a, a nacho whilst wearing a sombrero, they're all in on the action, and they didn't even pay for it. It's got to grind their gears almost as much as it grinds your gears to be a white clipper. What? Yeah, Donald Sterling's awful to everyone, absolutely everyone. How? Uh, it shouldn't come as a surprise, but it does. It's over, gone, I know you're done, you're long and 
Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for hanging and being part of my radio family. If you're just joining me, I'm your host, AD. Join the conversation by tweeting me at ADSXE. I am ably produced by super producer to the stars, Barry Funkhauser, on the other end of the line. He is hanging out in Los Angeles, pressing buttons, making me sound entirely more professional than I actually am. And for that, we thank him. So the latest in the Donald Sterling controversy is that, uh, well, I don't know if this supports him or I I don't know if this is a plus or a minus for old Donald, but apparently he's not racist. He's equal opportunity terrible. And this is according to White Clippers. White Clippers players say that Donald Sterling uh, didn't want them because they are white, specifically L.A. Clippers guard J.J. Redick, he's gone on the record saying that Sterling didn't seem to want to sign him last summer because he's white. Redick said that his four-year, $27 million sign-and-trade deal nearly fell apart. His words, verbatim, he said, Sterling, quote, didn't want to pay me because I was white. And he didn't want to pay me because I was a bench player. Eh, uh, bench player thing mm. uh, might take precedence over the color of your skin. Methinks you might be reading into that a little bit too much. But Sterling was also worried because of the 52 million bucks he paid to get white center Chris Kamen. Is that how you pronounce his name? And uh, Chris, he only averaged, I think, what was it, like 11 points a game before he was traded to the New Orleans Hornets in 2011. Reddick said he wanted to come to the Clippers anyway because of, you know who the real winner in this whole situation is, the one that comes out smelling awesome, is Coach Doc Rivers. And, and why shouldn't he? By all accounts, he seems like quite a stand-up guy and a great coach. But Reddick said he wanted to come to the Clippers because of Coach Doc Rivers and because of the players, Chris Paul and, and Blake Griffin. So it, it raises kind of an interesting question. If Sterling is racist against white people, I don't want you playing on my team because you're white. Is he still considered to be a racist or is he just a equal opportunity scumbag? The uh, It's funny. The right wing talk radio folks that work down the hall for me that cater to the folks that have no opposable thumbs. The AR-15 hoarding cross burners who are living in mud huts with their brusbans and sister wives wagging their vestigial tails as they listen to their shows that these folks put on. The the right-wing talk radio folks down the hall who make a way better living than I ever will because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of brusbans and sister wives living in mud huts wagging vestigial tails, burning crosses on their lawns and hoarding AR-15s and clutching them as they wait for their direct orders. Those guys down the hall love this because they're like, oh, oh, see? He's not a racist. Donald Sterling should be allowed to own his basketball team because he's not a racist. He's not a good guy. He's just not racist because he was he was skeezy to white people. Yeah. He he's not a racist if he's racist against white people and black people. He's just an equal opportunity meanie. <laughs> this is like the right wing talk radio honks down the hall. Really? That's an interesting spin you can put on it. I, I'm kind of of the opinion though. I'm kind of of the opinion that <clears throat> This means, well, he's a team owner, right? And if a white player like J.J. Redick is on his team, he he owns 
JJ in, in some sense of the word. I think old Donald gets a whole lot more of a thrill out of owning black dudes like the good old whippity crack days than he does out of owning white guys. That just seems unnatural to Donald. It is weird, though. Like, it does kind of strike me as weird, and it sets an interesting precedent. One of my best friends is a divorce lawyer, and he's over divorce law. He was just like, oh, God, it's just heart-wrenching. It's awful. You wind up playing therapist. It's just terrible. And it's just, like if you get to the point where you're at a in a divorce court duking it out, then no one's won. And for that reason, he's bailing on his career doing family law and working out people's divorces. And he is specifically moving toward international legal matters. Probably energy business stuff. But the thing that led him to be interested in this type of work was sporting organizations. International law is really interesting. But also, when you have international sporting organizations like FIFA, Worldwide Soccer Organization, they have their own laws, their own sets of rules, their own code that they live by. They have their own thing, and it crosses international borders. And while the Donald Sterling thing doesn't cross international borders, this is exactly the reason that my friend is bailing on family law and going into corporate things, specifically to try and deal with things like worldwide oil organizations or worldwide sporting organizations. It's because he said that sort of legal work is at the cutting razor's edge of what you can be doing in this profession because it's so speculative. Why? Because sporting organizations like the NBA, they operate outside the law with their own set of rules. Donald Sterling may sue the NBA and maybe there's some merit to it. I don't know. Like the whole thing like, gee, you know, it's America. For the same reason that the Klan is allowed to march in the streets, Donald Sterling should be allowed to be openly racist and own a basketball team or own whatever he wants. And that would be his right given to him by the fact that he's in America. However, what's really the most fascinating part about this and what a lot of people seem to be missing is that it raises the question of sporting organizations like the NFL, like the NBA, <laughs> by the way, still uh, mine still boggles from finding out uh, more recently than uh, than not that the NBA, uh, the no, the NFL doesn't pay taxes. It's like they're a church. I know it's on Sunday, but isn't that kind of a reach? But what is so fascinating, so interesting about the whole situation with Donald Sterling is it's his legal right in America to own businesses. Did he do anything illegal? By saying he, uh, by, by coming out in a recorded conversation as a giant screaming racist and a bigot? No. It's his legal right to be whatever kind of scumbag, bigoted, awful person that he wants to be in America. But he doesn't get to be that awful, bigoted person in the NBA. See, the NBA is operating outside the law with their own set of laws. It's like vigilante justice. It's like doling out punishment as they see as they see fit, which is really kind of the interesting precedent that a lot of people are missing here. Everyone's like, Donald Sterling's a racist. He should be a lot. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. 
and racists should be allowed to operate in America in the world of business the way anybody else does. That's just a it's just something that's true. <laughs> something that our founding fathers laid out. There's all sorts of uh, equality things that uh, don't make a whole bunch of common sense, but they're what our founding fathers lay out. Like that whole like uh, being created equal. I don't know. I, I'm still of the opinion that you should pass an IQ test before you're allowed to breed. That's not popular. And people were just like, ah, oh, yeah, there's another guy that thought that 80 Hitler. I was like, well, yeah, but still. To quote Harvey Danger, been around the world and found that only stupid people are breeding. I, I think you should have to pass a test before you have a kid. I don't think having a child is an inalienable right. And, and that's the kind of sensible decision that I would like to be allowed to make on the behalf of other people who plan on reproducing that the NBA has made in regard to Donald Sterling. And what's incredible about this is they operate as their own vigilante justice organization deciding who gets to do what and when and how. When the NBA finds someone, you don't get to take it to court. It's the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball. Like, I would be a little bit surprised if this whole thing didn't blow up into... uh, How much power to operate outside of governmental restrictions do sports teams really have? They can fire a guy for being racist just because they don't like a recorded conversation that he had. They can can ban him forever. They can force him to sell his business. And the NFL doesn't pay taxes? What the hell is going on with sporting organizations? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a real story with all this here. Yep, that's what I think, and I think that you should join in the conversation as well. At ADSXE is where you can find me on the interwebs. Tweet me. It's come to this. A guy wants to marry his porn-filled computer. Did you catch this? News that is surprising to no one. The story originates out of Florida. But a Florida man has filed a case to allow him to marry his porn-filled Apple computer. He's gone on the record saying that If gays have the right to marry, then he should have the right to marry his preferred sexual object. He said that uh, he prefers having sex with his computer over sex with real women. Here's the thing. He's insisting on marrying his computer out of principle. He's against gay marriage, and he says the filing sexual orientation never existed until President Obama came into office. He believes Obama is trying to make America a gay nation. He believes Obama is trying to subvert us into a bunch of fancy lads. He claims uh, he's making the courts, and I quote, put up or shut up on the equal protection argument upon which the push for gay marriage is based. The judge has tossed out the man's case for now. But he's going after it. See, well, first and foremost, I'm for, I don't think I'm even for gay marriage. I'm just for marriage for people, not computers necessarily. It's just there's absolutely no reason why one person shouldn't be allowed to experience every facet of a loving relationship the way another person can. Gay marriage, awesome. Not only because of the whole sort of equality aspect to it, but primarily because, well, gay marriage means gay divorce court. And I would watch the living bejesus out of gay divorce court. 
But it's morons like this guy. This is living proof that politicians and preachers just have tremendous power. This guy in Florida that wants to marry his computer and is taking it to court, he has an incredibly small life and entirely too much time on his hands. Even if you are legitimately, religiously, or morally opposed to gay marriage, there's a very simple, easy way to rid your life of the very concept that same-sex people can get married. It's called not marrying a gay person. It doesn't affect you. It's none of your freaking business. Rand Paul, Pat Robertson, idiots like that have real tangible power over stupid people with entirely too much time on their hands. This guy, this is a guy, this dude in Florida, if he has time to make it, if he has time to take this to court, that he should marry his computer out of a sense of equality, out of a sense of fear that Obama's subverting us into a gay nation. This is a guy who will make it to the voting booth because he has nothing better to do. He will vote on every last thing it's possible to pull a lever for. These are the voters. If you like me, you believe in personal responsibility and don't look to the government to change your life. And you don't think pulling a lever is going to make a difference. You go out and you affect that change. You be the change that you want to become. However, when you find out that these are voters, kind of makes you want to just go pull the lever in honor of not being a freaking idiot. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.